a national emergency. Detonator charged. I just don't know who I am without you. You're Ken. But it's Barbie and Ken. There is no just Ken. Doesn't seem to matter what I do. I'm always number two. No one knows how hard I tried. Oh, oh, I... Hey everyone, you're listening to Cinema 5000. I am Mallory, your host, and I'm here to talk to you about four films on this episode. Yes, we will get to Barbenheimer and the Barbie Oppenheimer cinematic, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> phenomenon, thing. Yeah, whatever's going on in theaters right now where people are seeing two movies by two directors that have made big, big money. And uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> but I have four movies to talk about and two that are not those movies that you can actually watch at home right now. But let's talk numbers. We are at 5,260 movies noted as watched by me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've only seen four since the last episode, and I wanted to get this out as soon as I could to, you know, have an episode this week and really close the door on whether or not this thing happening with movies is, like, worth your time or not. And I have good news for you guys. But first, um, let's talk about the movie Yes, God, Yes, uh, from 2019, directed by Karen Maine. The tagline is, being bad has never felt so good. Alice, a young, innocent Catholic girl, is tempted into masturbating after an AOL chat suddenly turns sexual. However, she is conflicted, as the act would be considered a sin. This stars Natalia Dyer and Timothy Simmons as basically the most recognizable people of the cast of this movie. Natalia Dyer's Alice is very tempted, as I said, and uh, Yes, God, Yes is based on a short film that was previously made uh, about the subject matter at hand with this girl who, you know, wants to be good with God, but also she's feeling things. And uh, <laughs> it's funny how this is a kind of a throwback I could relate to on one level, at least, because Alice uh, has a friend who tells her, yeah, well, you made me rewind the car scene in Titanic. I know what's going on. Like, cause she's, you know, she's starting to get curious about things in life, birds and the bees. And she's, she's just trying to be good. And she's also trying to listen to her body and who can't relate to that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I think this movie is just okay. It has some funny moments, but its biggest problem is that it just feels very typical. There's no surprises in this. It's kind of a cliche. I don't want to say it's a cliche, but it's just not yeah, there's no surprises. You know with this subject matter what is going to happen as far as her desires and her needs and um, issues that are going to happen. She's going to be looked upon as a sinner, of course, and then she's going to maybe sin or maybe not. And maybe she learned something about somebody else and maybe somebody's secrets who is a person who is trying to be a man of God, but maybe is a sinner. Yeah, as I said, uh, yes, God, yes, is okay. I gave it two and a half stars. Uh I just, I wanted to give it three, but there was something about it that just felt a little bit disappointing. And that's, that's gotta be the fact that this just doesn't have anything really new to say, but it's not a bad watch. Uh, you can find it on Canopy and Stars. And a quick note, this movie is a very quick 78 
minutes. It might even be shorter than that. <laughs> but as I said, it's based on a short film. So um, when you're adapting a short film, you know, I do applaud the filmmakers for not trying to extend this into anything other than what it needed to be. So it's charming. It's fine. It's maybe a little forgettable, but um, it does have a good performance from Nat- Natal- Natalia Dyer, excuse me, as Alice. So yes, God, yes. From 2019, directed by Karen Maine. Give it two and a half stars. And now let's talk about Barbie from 2023, directed by Greta Gerwig. The tagline is, she's everything. He's just Ken. Barbie and Ken are having the time of their lives in the colorful and seemingly perfect world of Barbie land. However, when they get a chance to go to the real world, they soon discover the joys and perils of living among humans. The stars Margot Robbie as Barbie, who is noted as being a stereotypical Barbie, and Ken, who's played by Ryan Gosling. Barbie and Ken live in Barbie land, as I said, which is different than the real world. It's where the Barbies play, and every day is a wonderful day in Barbie land. Uh, there is a very delightful song at the beginning of the introduction to Barbie land that is sung by Lizzo that talks about every day in Barbie land. Um, it's just so cute. Everything about this movie is adorable and pretty and fun. There was a scene where an ambulance opened up that just made my heart flutter um, because it was just so magical and so in tune with the design of toys in Barbie land and uh, how maybe I experienced Barbie toys to some degree as a kid. I didn't have a lot of Barbie toys. I had a couple hand-me-down Barbies. I had a Barbie my mom had when she was a kid. Um, And then I had like things like the Disney version of Barbies. Like I had an Ariel Barbie. (laughs) Um, Not really obviously Mattel, but (laughs) I had Ariel Little Mermaid. I also had a Belle doll that I got for my birthday one year. And then I had a couple Barbies that were new that I got because my grandmother gave them to me as gifts because otherwise I had two older sisters. Um, I had to play with other Barbies that were theirs or as I said, Barbies that were my mom's. And uh, (laughs) the experience of using a Barbie is just very idealized, of course. And the movie knows how to touch upon that. It also knows how to touch upon how the experience is when you're a woman in the real world. And we get to see firsthand how Barbie then reacts when she goes to the real world because things aren't going so great for her. And uh, she finds out that somebody in the real world is messing with her doll to some degree and she needs to go fix it and figure out what's going on um barbie is like played with such a delightful joy by margot robbie and her innocence of going to this world and discovering how things are not the same as barbie world um barbie land rather uh is is like so sad and also really heartwarming because she's just very good like she does not have any ill will towards anybody And she just wants to be friends and every day is great, but that's not how the real world is. (laughs) Um, In her going there, uh, Ken also tags along. Ken, who uh, really only exists to get affection from Barbie and attention from Barbie, goes to the real world and starts to discover, hey, men are really cool and they run things and I think I like horses. (laughs) Um, his performance, Ryan Gosling as Ken, is like one of the most amazing things I've seen in a very long time. And he is hilarious. Like every scene he's in, he is so funny. But remember, Ken matters too. And he is Ken off. <laughs> uh, the jokes in this movie are absolutely endearing and hilarious. Like there's some jokes that are just, just not about like the Barbie world, but like about 
real life things too. And then the movie has the slant that some people are seeing as anti-male, but truthfully, this is a movie that wants to touch upon the issues in society where women are not allowed to be women and have the things that they should have and how men are very much harmed by not having identities and being responsible contributors to society and maybe just running things, but not for the good of anyone. Um, it's a it's a really intriguing and interesting script this movie has and how it talks about the way society works and how it can be bad for everybody, the way things are function, functioning. was not expecting that out of this movie. Like, there's heavy stuff happening, but it's also fun and light. But it's also so tragic and sad. The destruction of Barbie Land and its harmony, uh, when it happens, um, there was a certain sadness I felt with everything just being turned on its head. Um, it also gave me really like big feelings of, um, oh, how shall I say it? Um, just throwback feelings to like some eighties movies I've seen and their, their mood and the mentality of like how messed up things can be when women are taken advantage of. Um, not in like a serious sense, but like maybe not made to feel great about who they are and made lesser than. So um, Barbie touches on some heavy shit, um, <laughs> but it does it in a very endearing way. Like endearing is like the word that describes this movie. It is so, so in touch with how people like me maybe played with Barbies and then the issues that arise out of Barbie existing as a thing in the world and what it has maybe done to young women over the years and their uh, ideas of what girls can be for better or worse. And um, yeah, the criticisms of what Barbie has done as and existed as are in this film. And even though Mattel has like a heavy presence in the film through Will Ferrell's character, who is the CEO of Mattel, um, there's all these little bits and pieces where it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like we're talking like criticism of Mattel. <laughs> And it's in this movie, and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, well, who, who, who told Greta Gerwig she could do that? Um, <laughs> or who didn't tell her she couldn't do that, more like it. Um, but I have to say, this is a very eye-opening and um, interesting film on a number of levels. It is a lot of film, though, to take in. Uh, I frankly only gave it three and a half stars because there were some things about it that I felt like maybe needed a second watch. And for me, yeah, that's a criticism. Um it's a lot of movie. And when a movie is a lot of movie and leaves me feeling like hmm, maybe I missed something or maybe I could get out of it, more out of it on a second viewing, I'm going to want that second viewing regardless. Um, cause you know, first watch, like I had a great time, but it still left me feeling like I had some questions, <laughs> but, um, I gotta say for a movie that is, uh, just under two hours long and very much committed to being funny because it is so funny. There's a lot of jokes in this movie. It's really impeccable and crafty in its filmmaking and it's script by Greta Gerwig and uh, her partner, Noam Baumbach. Um, I have to say the entire cast was really, really vibrant and fun too. You've got Issa Rae, you've got Simu Liu, uh, Kate McKinnon, uh, Kensley Benadir, Alexander Ship, Harry Neff. Like there's all these recognizable people in this movie and they're just having a good time. Also shout out to Michael Sarah. He is Alan, <laughs> Ken's buddy who wears all his clothes. Um, I didn't know about the existence of Alan until I'd seen some promotional things about the movie, but they give Alan enough of a part where he's just like this very sweet, um, 
presence in the film and it's like oh my gosh they like they gave alan his own little thing and um yeah i i really there's a lot to admire about barbie and it's not just it being funny and being heartfelt it's collectively what this movie says and wants to say and there's really you know truly no bad guys there's no nobody's really evil it's just you know people and maybe Ken or Barbie dolls can make mistakes. <laughs> um, and at the end of the day, uh, it's just about having a good time and um, everybody taking care of everybody else and uh, being good and also recognizing that some people have it really hard in the world and the world's not fair and you should lift them up. So um, <laughs> that's maybe sounding preachy and I'm sure some people think Barbie is preachy. I know it's out there that some people think Barbie is anti-male and it's really not, like I said. Um, but it's a, it's a really, it's a really, um, really fun film. It's a, it's a, it's, how do I say it? It's a, it's a great time. It's really good. And, uh, I now seeing the response to it after I've seen it, I'm like ecstatic. Like I can't wait to see it again. Uh, because you know, you can watch a movie and think, Hey, this is great. But then you learn that everybody else thinks it's great too. And that's just, that's just so exciting, especially since before this like came out, I saw some people being like, oh, Barbie's going to be divisive on audiences. And I think those people how I who I do believe might have been just exclusively male, who I saw seeing that, um, really underestimate how audiences are consuming art and films and what kind of things they're looking for. And considering what Barbie could have been as a movie, it could have just been this simple doll tale and not very exciting. Um, it added so many things to this sort of it's not really a genre, but this sort of like taking this thing and putting it in the real world kind of thing, sort of like the Brady Bunch movie and also the Lego movie, applying, you know, real life stuff to a thing that doesn't necessarily have any outside impact or receive feedback in that way. Um, yeah, the sort of, <laughs> oh, I don't want to use the word content for the art. I hate saying IP as well. Um, just existing kind of, you know, thing and then making the modern world, uh, deal with it in some way, I, I guess. I don't, you know what I mean. <laughs> and if you don't know what I mean, I'm sorry, but, um, yeah, Barbie is very successful as a film and hats off to Greta Gerwig, who is the director. And, uh, she feels very much like a filmmaker who had a vision for this. It doesn't seem like she struggled to get across what she wanted to tell through this movie, and uh, hats off to her. It's an incredible script. Um, the filmmaking is great. It is edited very well. It looks amazing. Haven't talked enough about the production design and the um, costuming, which is all references galore. Like, absolutely. I, I mean, yeah. Will we see another movie made this well this year, production-wise, just collectively? I don't know. Um, <laughs> sorry, Oppenheimer, but that's how it is. Uh, Barbie, yeah, let's let's move on. Three and a half stars for me. Uh, it's a great time, and I uh, I uh, I recommend you all go see it because uh, it has more to offer. Like they say in Transformers, it's more than meets the eye. <laughs> uh, moving on, something not so um, yeah, not so Barbie. <laughs> it's John Wick Chapter Four, uh, directed by Chad Stileski. Um, <laughs> the tagline is "No Way Back." one way out. With the price on his head ever increasing, John Wick uncovers 
a path to defeating the high table. But before he can earn his freedom, Wick must face against a new enemy with powerful alliances across the globe and forces that turn old friends into foes. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> no surprises here. <laughs> um, Chad Stahileski, who has made every John Wick film, is back again and uh, doing the... Sorry, closing chapter on the John Wick series right here. Keanu Reeves is back, of course, doing his damnedest. <laughs> um, and I I, uh, I started to watch this movie and was enjoying myself, but not quite loving it. Some of the action scenes were good. It was a good time. And then things started to get really awesome as far as action scenes. Now, I say action scenes, action scenes, because you know what's going to happen in this movie. This is the last one in the four films. There's no surprises here as far as what the plot is and what the story is. But as a technical achievement with these fight scenes, fantastic. I loved it. Um, <laughs> I loved it despite having like quibbles with it. Um, Bill Skarsgård in this movie as Marquis, I didn't care for him at all. I thought he was so wasted and um, not really like menacing or scary or anything. Sorry, Bill. Um, but Donnie Yen as uh, Kane, I, I did like him, though <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> Uh, there, I noticed this about the movie and it was confirmed to me by someone, um, that, uh, yeah, there were moments when John Wick could have easily taken out Kane, who he was fighting against at certain points, and then he just doesn't, and it's like, dude, you had the chance, it was right there. <laughs> um, I think that, though, now that the more I think about those moments, it's like there's a certain code within the John Wick universe about how you fight and who you fight and how you can effectively end them. Um, and you just don't do those things. But um, there's so much going on in this movie with action and how it frames the action scenes like as a technical thing, like I said, the way I can see all the action happening in this movie is just, it's great. Like this was a movie I, okay, probably about an hour in, I was just like, this is just something I could put on in the background and walk in the room and be like, wow, that's so cool. And walk out and come back in. And that's like, that's so cool. And watch over and over again, because the mastery of what the fight work is, is just, it's top notch. Also cinematography wise, there, I have so many, you know, you've heard me complain about how dark movies can be and how bad they look. This one, it just looks fucking great. Uh, <laughs> a majority of the movie takes place at night and we can see everything going on. The movie uses so much unnatural light to really aid the film and the images. There's a scene that takes place at the Champs-Élysées, um, or no, the Arc de Triomphe in Paris, and the way that it uses headlights and some of the just general existing lights. It feels like they didn't add a single light to the scene, but you know they did because it's a movie. Um, and it also aided, like, like a lot of movies are dark these days because the CGI is going to be used and they don't want to show you everything and want to give you a more sense of immersion and like the dark, but that doesn't really work in my opinion. It's too dark. You can't see shit. So this like Arc de Triomphe scene is just like, it's great. It's, it's, it's working within this scene and like oh my god like everything in France was like some of the best shit like ever I've seen and I just was so so in love with it despite my quibbles about the beginning of the film and the sort of 
you know, non-existent plot. Um, <laughs> I can definitely re recommend um, John Wick Chapter 4. And if you haven't seen any of the John Wick movies, um, they're a ride. Now, I will say I'm not the biggest fan of, like, the second one. The first one's good. It keeps the baseline of, this is John Wick. He's going to kill people. But it keeps going and going and going. The third one, um, Parabellum, that was, was that Parabellum? Was that one? I gotta look it up. Um, that one, yes, it was Parabellum. That one was good. It had a lot more change of scenery, I want to say. Just, I, it was a while ago that I saw it. But I enjoy the John Wick films. I, I almost feel like I want to go back and start them all over again and then cap it off with four again. Um, because it's been a bit. The first John Wick film came out when? In 2014. So we're talking like nearly 10 years of John Wick. Uh, it's, a, it's a very successful series. Um, even when the plot is unfortunately not so great, you do still have the really great action scenes. And um, who doesn't love Keanu Reeves as well? So John Wick chapter four from 2023 it's directed by chad stahelski there i think i said his name that right that time um yeah so moving on from john wick okay guys so today i went down to boston and i met up with someone who you've heard on the podcast before uh, my friend steve he reached out. He said, hey, Mal, would you go see Oppenheimer with me on 70 millimeter? And I said, oh, I don't know. Now, here's the thing about me. I'm not a big Christopher Nolan fan. I went ahead and made a letterbox list today at the request of Steve to really rank his films. And I'm just just not a fan of most of them. Um, <laughs> um, that that kind of makes me feel like, you know, it's just his movies are just not for me. But I gave Oppenheimer a chance. I heard some things about it that made me think, hmm, maybe I'll like this one. Maybe I'll get something out of it. Um, I studied politics in college, and this movie has a bit of a, a bit of a, how do you say it? A bit of a third that really talks about political hearings and such. And anyway, uh, I don't want to labor the point anymore. Let's go ahead and listen to the discussion I had with my friend Steve about Oppenheimer. Hi, this is Mallory from Cinema 5000. I am reporting live from the Center Street Walk parking lot. Is that technically what it is? I believe so. Behind the Coolidge Corner Theater in Brookline, Massachusetts, a.k.a. Boston. Um, I have just seen Oppenheimer in 70mm, seen it with a friend of mine who you may recall was on an episode last year when I went to the Coolidge Corner Theater. It's my friend Steve. Say hi, Steve. Hey, Mel. How's it going? It's, um, it's pretty hot. Oh. It is hot. Yeah, it's a nice summer day. And uh, we spent our morning seeing Oppenheimer in 70mm on the big screen in the Coolidge Corner Theater, screen number one. Uh, there were a lot of Barbies in our way as we walked into the theater, but eventually we got in. <laughs> it's, it's been a big weekend for the Coolidge. They've been selling out all the showings. Um, when I walked into the theater, I don't know if you saw, Steve, but at the ticket booth they have, they have a ticket booth still, they had a sign that said, Oppenheimer sold out all day, Barbie sold out all day, except for the 11.15 p.m. show. So <laughs> I, heard, I heard, as we were getting our ticket scanned, I heard two poor fools try to buy tickets to our showing, and they were like, it's sold out. And then they were like, oh, and they just like walked away. Like I don't know what they were thinking, but opening weekend on two probably biggest movies of the summer. Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, the box office numbers have come in and it's looking like like a really huge weekend that's that's great for movies and um I've already seen Barbie, so I have completed the Barbenheimer challenge. <laughs> 
I haven't seen Barbie yet, but, it, you know, I'll get to it when it... Yeah, he'll get to it. I'll get to it. All right, but Steve, since you were the one who said, let's go mm-hmm. see Oppenheimer, give me your thoughts. What is your reaction to Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer? My reaction is it was exhausting. <laughs> um, it, it did... First of all, I, I do want to complain about the theater because it was way too loud. It was, and I know that this is a common thing with Nolan across, you hear it a lot across reviews, but I've never experienced anything like this before where it is so loud, loudest movie I've ever seen by far. Um, Loudest movie I've ever seen by far, including even crowd noise when you get a rowdy theater or, you know, like like a snakes on a plane type night. (laughs) But um, I could not hear some of the dialogue in the first act because the music that was playing behind it was too loud. And I, I want to blame Coolidge. You have said that this is typical Nolan. In it your, is. I have seen every Nolan film in theaters, except for Tenet, which I saw on HBO Max when, was, when the theaters were shut like down. Like most people, though. Um, so don't, don't, get, do be, don't be too hard on yourself about that. Okay, well, I've never not been able to hear dialogue in a Nolan film before, except maybe... When I went and saw Mission Impossible in IMAX, and they uh, previewed the opening prologue to *The Dark Knight Rises*, when the Bane mask um, you, over Tom Hardy's face, you couldn't hear anything he was saying. That was the last time that I remember not being able to hear things in a theater. And there were several important strings of dialogue in the morning, in the in the first act, that I just I, I wanted to lean over to be like, "What did you say? What? What? Who? What?" And you should have done that. I would have told you what they were saying. Well, I didn't want to be disruptive. <laughs> so okay. I had to kind of piece together some things myself over the next two acts, which, so five, that's why I'm exhausted, because I had to basically build the movie myself in my brain. Um, and then, you know, I have to go through two endings of the film, not just one. There's two endings. I'm spoiler-free here, so I'm just going to give, some, this is knee-jerk reaction right now. There's two endings, and one of them isn't needed. So you could probably have cut maybe an hour out of this film and still have left it um, with a satisfying, you know, end to it all. And there's just a lot of questions that I have about the motivation of Killian Murphy's character um, and his the end result in the end, which seems to conflict a little with kind of his inner monologue. So um, I'm sure I'm going to write a nice long letterbox review at some point, but I... I'm actually, I might be withholding my rating and just writing the review until I can go see it again and hear some of the dialogue that I missed. I, I'm, I'm not surprised you're saying that, but I respect it because if you're not having a good time in the theater, sometimes it can impede on your experience. And, and my armrest was broken, and there was gum on my seat, and it was too hot, and there was too many people in the theater. There was not too many people in the there theater. Was... You were gung-ho to go see Oppenheimer, and this is what you get opening weekend. Mm-hmm. So well, I can uh, when I when I go see my uh, Marvel movie on opening weekend, I buy the seats next to me so that nobody sits next to me. You do that? I do that. <laughs> I do that. <laughs> are you? Are you? You're serious? <laughs> Only when my wife can't come see me, like she has to watch. Somebody has to watch the kids. So um, I that and I can't tell on the when you go pick out your seat, you can't you can't tell which one is like the shared seat with the armrest that folds in. So well, this I, is this is not a problem I have, but. Yeah. I, well, in the theater that I go to, it just, and I can't ever remember. I always like make a note, like which one has the odd number of seats <laughs> with the uh, wheelchair accessible thing, because it doesn't say it on the on the online thing either. So I buy both seats so that I can uh, freely put 
my body in positions that make me comfortable. Okay, enough about seats. But give me your reaction. Is this a yay or nay for Oppenheimer from Mr. Christopher Nolan? What's your take? I, um... I don't even know if I can answer that right now. Just Wow. Yeah, so I'm very internally conflicted. I, I really enjoyed... There are two scenes that stand out um, that, I, that I thought were, were extraordinarily done. Um, one involving uh, Oppenheimer's um, aftermath of um, his first two acts, and another one involving Robert Downey Jr. I thought both those actors um, were the standouts. Um, there was actually a little, I mean, the contributing cast... Everybody was, and it's all of Christopher Nolan's friends, right? Like, seen him in past movies, but some new uh, appearances. Matt Damon was, you know, he was Matt Damon. He's, <laughs> you know, white guy Matt Damon, just really. Matt da- see him in Matt Damon in a Boston theater, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, it was more like, you know, remember when George Clooney played Batman? Yeah. Or when he was cast at Batman, but instead he just played George Clooney in a Batman suit? That's how I saw Matt Damon in this film. Like he just played. He's like he just showed up, and they're like, "Up, oh, put a mustache on him, give him his lines, and let's go." So, um, but no, that's. Some, I mean, he was fine. He served his purpose, but you know they could have cast maybe a little bit more harder uh, around the edges guy. That was the whole point of the character. You know that over overseeing Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. um, and then some of the other characters that I liked. I mean, Emily Blunt, um, good. And uh, Florence, good. Not in it enough, in my opinion. They Florence just kind of fell off the screen. And then, and you know, there's reasons for that, but... Um, well, female I, characters are not Nolan's strong suit. We know this. So, yeah. and frankly, I've read a little bit about that person in real life. So, in my opinion, underserved, not used well. Mm. But, Len, more more thoughts from you. Let's go. Yeah. No. I. I mean, it was. <laughs> I, I'm. I'm gonna see it again. I'm gonna see it again. I have to see it again. Um, I. If you like Christopher Nolan, when he, when, all right, when he goes through his exposition dumps which is a, a common Christopher Nolan thing. Um, I felt there he went a little bit light this time around. I felt like he almost was playing with the edits a bit better because normally when you, you do a Christopher Nolan dump, it's like some guy explaining something in a room and then we'll put over that dialogue, we'll show them doing that thing so that we can just cut the time out, right? Like you're explaining to me this technology and then I'm being shown the technology being built. Just an example. Um, there was a less of that, but... The first act, the first two acts are, are are crazy paced. There's no room to, to breathe. There's no room for like a character to say an emotional line and for the, for you to refl- just let that breathe a little bit, like reflect on what that character is kind of putting out there. But we are we're just cut right next to the next scene. We're on our way to a completely different, you know, uh, area. Like it's it's very fast paced, and that also. If it, ha- if it hadn't been, it would have been like a four-hour movie. It would have been even longer. So um, it's, it's a lot to take in, and it's a lot to absorb. And I, but I did enjoy seeing if you know, all, everything is accurate to the book and, and the real-life events, um, just how this thing came to fruition and how it was constructed and, and the urgency behind it. I really like the history of it. 
And so, okay, so I just convinced myself. So I'm going to say yay <laughs> oh, to, wow. to, to a theater experience of Oppenheimer um, just based on that. And there's some complaints with it. It's not his best film, but um, I can see why it's, you know, most folks could kind of fall into the enjoyment of, of seeing the history. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got to agree with a lot of the things you said, and I have a, you know, you know me, I got a problem with Christopher Nolan all day long. But <laughs> and, and, yeah, all day and next week and, and next month. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Um, he's just never really been a filmmaker who sort of, I get the... I get the appeal, but he doesn't appeal to me. So, um, yeah, I totally agree on a lot of your points you said. Um, I'm going to say more after this segment, but um, I, I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking more about the movie now, and the things I don't like about it do not outweigh the things I like about it. So, ultimately, I will be positive on this movie. Um, thumbs up, I guess you could say, much like you. But I will definitely not be seeing it again in a theater because I. I expected the dialogue stuff with Nolan, the sound, and as far as I can tell, it's the same kind of experience I've had at the Coolidge many times. Um, and when it comes to the specifications, I know he outlines how theaters who are projecting should do it. Yep. I know the Coolidge probably does it. Um, that's, that's, I think, the biggest detriment to seeing the movie here. Like, yes, we saw it on 70mm. It looked gorgeous. Other than one of my other complaints, they screwed up the real change. I don't know how you do that. That can happen, though. It's I, film. It's not perfect. First time I had a pause in a movie since 1997 when I saw Independence Day on opening night and the fire alarms went off and we had to evacuate. So that's, that, what is that, 23, six-year stretch. So Coolidge, work on that. <laughs> um, but to go, again, what you said about how adjusting for sound, we know that theaters do this, and we know that theaters who have advanced sound systems can do this way easier and um, more efficiently with, you know, the proper... I, I mean, they, they bring stuff into... These state-of-the-art theaters near me that they bring in, you know, audio microphones and do the adjustment literally on the, you know, when whatever, to whatever specifications come in. So I'm going to go do it. If, if the dialogue is the same and I can't hear it again, and the volume's just too loud, I'm going to walk out and get my money back. But I am going to go back and at least watch the first act again. Um, you, you get used to it. You do what you said. Like you said you were prepared for it. You get used to it. So by the second and third, I'm, I'm, leading, I'm reading lips you know, <laughs> in the second, second act. But um, uh, I do want – there was some good introduction to character, some first impressions that I want to, to go back and review um, again. Okay. Gotcha. Thank you. Um, but yeah, Nolan and sound. I, it's one of my biggest complaints about him. Always felt this way, um, mm -hmm. especially Interstellar, my least favorite Nolan film, which I think is a film that suffers greatly because of the choices he's made, especially on the emotional level. Um, but for Oppenheimer, I think it has really good performances. It's well cast. There's a lot of very recognizable young faces like Drake and Josh. Josh mm -hmm. is in this, and it's, it's, it's funny because you're just like... Didn't you used to do that thing when you were a kid? <laughs> but, um, yeah, like Matt Damon, I, as much as I want to say Matt Damon is being Matt Damon, I've seen a picture of the guy he plays, and it's good casting on that okay. level. So it could just be Matt Damon's acting that you just get as Matt Damon. That is the problem here. So it's not... I don't think it's a bad criticism at all to say Matt Damon is playing Matt Damon because he's Matt Damon. Um, we've seen Matt Damon in so many films over the years, and I do think his transition of turning into an older man in films is a little awkward. It could take a while before he really gets to that level where he needs to be, and it works. But Killian Murphy, on the other hand, um, 
No, he's he's been good in like every movie I've ever seen him in. I've never had a complaint about him, even in Nolan films mm-hmm. um, before. So uh, yeah, I see see it for Killian Murphy, and if you have interest in Robert Oppenheimer and the Trinity Project, Manhattan Project, all that stuff, um, and that kind of stuff, you won't. I don't think you'll be disappointed. I yeah, mean, I, I, go back to the Murphy. I think I said this to you before about how I think Nolan got the best out of him um, that he's ever played mm-hmm. and I almost attribute it to the same way that he got the best out of uh, Heath Ledger playing the, the Joker I think that when you see both those characters it makes you want to go back and look at their past performance to see how they've come to where they are today and that's like watching this I was like I can't believe I can't picture uh, Murphy playing this 10 years ago um, which you know they they age up the actors a little bit in this in this film too but it makes me want to go back and see like Red Eye or something, yeah. something a little bit more uh, you know visceral that that he's got more of a wide you know kind of uh, range to work with because his range in this film is, is is pretty narrow but I think it, he nails the look and and the feel of, of who Oppenheimer was and I, that's from someone who never seen Oppenheimer on film but you go and look at what he looked like and he looks pretty similar to um, to all the photos. Mm-hmm. And then uh, was one more thing I wanted to say about. I lost my train of thought, though. I just want to say Oppenheimer is two red eyes. Just so you know, uh, <laughs> it is two red eyes. It is. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I will say that, like you know, if you're you're into this for the Nolan factor, you're not going to be disappointed. If you're into this for the story, you're not going to be disappointed. If you're into this for the actors. You're not going to be disappointed because truly, I mean, Matt Damon aside, I don't think anybody's bad in this at all. It's a nice, well-rounded cast, a lot of different characters. It's it's a good film. I'm going to say that. And did you get your train of thought back? Nope. So we'll end it like that. And, you know, hopefully I can kind of go see it again and put a star rating on it. Okay, cool. Well, Steve, thank you so much. Thank you for getting the tickets on this historical box office week for, yeah. for the Barbenheimer yeah, experience. Bringing the theater, bringing theaters back, right? Yeah. This is a. We just saw the numbers. Yeah, it's a big weekend, and I will say I did see one individual with a Barbenheimer T-shirt, as you may have seen on the web. So, people are out there. People are into it. I hope they enjoy seeing Barbie too, because, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, this movie was explosive. <laughs> and yeah. Steve, thank you so much for uh, coming with me today, and uh, yeah. Thank you again for being on the pod. No, I should say thank you for coming with me. Okay. All right. <laughs> this is true because you did get me to see a Nolan movie, so that is yep. an achievement. That was my, that was my goal. That was my goal. <laughs> back all right. Nolan train. Okay. Well, maybe not. Um, all right. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> and I do want to say thanks again to Steve for uh, being on the podcast and contributing his input on Oppenheimer. Uh, again, uh <laughs> Red Eye from Wes Craven is uh, two two red eyes equal um, Oppenheimer <laughs> on Oppenheimer because uh, Red Eye is a hundred and t- uh, no sorry it's an hour and twenty six minutes and Oppenheimer is three hours flat. Uh, like I said before, Killian Murphy really the standout of course of the film and it's great he finally got like a leading role that people are going to see and be like yeah that Killian Murphy he's great. <laughs> Um, I did recommend to Steve, actually, on the side, I did recommend the film The Wind That Shakes the Barley from Ken Loach, which does star Killian Murphy. Uh, it's a good film. It talks about Irish uh, handling of war. And I think the, oh gosh, is it World War One or something else? I can't, 
can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, that's a good film, but I've been a fan of Killian Murphy for a very long time. Uh, the first film I saw him in, oh gosh, we're talking, yeah, well, it's probably 28 Days Later like everybody else, but I've seen him in a number of films. Uh, Breakfast on Pluto is another one I like him in, and he actually was just in A Quiet Place Part 2 with Emily Blunt, who is in Oppenheimer. Uh, going back to Oppenheimer, um, I do think the women were underserved. Christopher Nolan doesn't really know how to write women, but I do think some of the scenes uh, with Emily Blunt uh, and the little testifying scenes, um, I do think those were good. Um, but I, uh, just think Florence Pugh was underused. It would have been so much more interesting to show more highs than just the lows of her relationship with Robert Oppenheimer. Um, there's just, this, there's this, there's this consistent tone in the film of just doom. And, uh, it didn't have to be like that. I get why it's like that, but it didn't have to be. Uh, but for what it is, I did find Oppenheimer to be a successful film, even with the music driving everything like a train throughout the entire film. When silences of the actors just being actors and doing their best with the dialogue would have been a lot more appreciated by me. Um, also not spoilery, but I think the third act of the film, as Steve said, there's a couple endings to this film that stuff that happens after that first ending, uh, so to speak, uh, was just not satisfying to me. And it drove me crazy, not in like a very much like get me that out of this theater way, though. I won't lie. That did kind of cross my mind. And just that we don't have to do this right now. You could cut this out of the film. You don't. Uh, it's it's disappointing to see that the film just kept going after that point. I agreed with Steve 100% on that. Uh, but it's not it's not a total wash. So, yeah. <laughs> Oppenheimer from Christopher Nolan uh, from 2023. I gave it three stars. And the thing I was 100% expecting to happen when I got home was my dad asking me about Oppenheimer. Hey, so, uh, so that's about this, right? And they're going to talk about that in the film. And I'm like, yeah, they kind of did. Dad, did you want to see Oppenheimer? I don't think he knew this movie was like really out until this past weekend, but, um, I, uh, it's funny. <laughs> no, the more I think about it, I'm like, yeah, my dad would have really liked this film. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, that's, that's this episode. This is the Barbie Barbenheimer episode. The people on the internet are loving it. The people are dressing as pink for the Barbie. Maybe the guys are dressing up in suits and wearing hats for Oppenheimer. <laughs> I didn't see anything like that when we went to the theater. I just saw the pink. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, I do, I do appreciate that people have, you know, committed to the bit and gone to see both movies and give both movies lots of money because cinemas with everything going on with the uh sag strike and the wga um i'm i'm trying not to get scared about the state of cinema in the world and what might happen and finding out that certain movies are getting pulled from their release dates like really shocks me because um, I need things to watch. I need new things to watch and talk to you about. And that's not good. And these actors need to get paid and the studios don't want to pay them. And that's not good. They need careers. They need lives. They need to be able to support their families and just have, you know, great successful careers and get paid their worth. And if they're not getting paid their worth, that is, it's really, really shitty. And it really pisses me off that things haven't been resolved quickly. And I am so scared to see how long this is going to go on. But, um, yeah, these, 
okay, these fucking studios better pay these people their worth and better negotiate better contracts with them because um, the way the things are going right now with film and AI bullshit and um, taking advantage of people and streamers not playing people the residuals they deserve, um, it's enough is enough. It's not okay. It's There are people making a lot of money who make a lot of money every day and are making even more money when people are underpaid for the so-called streaming experiment. It's here. It's not going anywhere. We need to get those people paid. So WGA and SAG, AFTRA, um, yeah, I, uh, I stand with those folks. And if it comes down to be that there are guidelines that say to support the strike, uh, do not watch movies on certain streamers. Um, I will go ahead and listen to that, but that is not happening right now. For now, as it stands, um, you are not a scab if you watch a movie in a theater. You are not a scab if you watch a movie on a streaming service. You are, however, a scab if you take jobs that uh, studios ask you to do that are definitely crossing lines and you're not in those unions. So uh, that has been happening on uh, social media platforms. And wow, those people doing those things and crossing the picket lines, they suck. So screw them. But uh, if you want to know more about what's going on with the strike, uh, Twitter, as it stands, which I guess is turning into X, I guess, is a really great source for information. Um, if you just search SAG strike, you'll find information anywhere on social media, uh, in the news. Uh, there's people picketing every day that I see pictures of on the internet in Los Angeles and other, uh, metro areas. So, um, yeah, if you don't know anything about the strike and what people are striking for and what has not been negotiated, uh, read up on it because this is the first time in a very long time that the actors have gone on strike and the WGA went on strike, uh, I want to say more than 15 years ago, but, uh, yeah, it's a, we're, we're living history, baby, whether we like it or not. So, <laughs> um, let's hope for a swift resolution and, uh, people getting their fair share for what they are owed for their talents and their worth because fair is fair. Um, but that is this episode of cinema 5,000. Thank you so much for listening to this. Uh, I'm not sure I have any further thoughts on either movie, but if I see anything again, you will hear any about it uh, on that second viewing uh, on the recap, rewatch episode, rewatch recap episode that I do at the end of every quarter. So we just had one at the end of June for early July, and the next one would be at the end for the end of September, early October, which is a ways away. But you got something to look forward to if I see Barbie again or if I see Oppenheimer again. I don't know if I'm going to do that. Who knows? My dad could be like, hey, let's go to the movies. And I could I could do that. I'd go see this movie with my dad for sure. Uh, we'd have probably an awesome discussion after. But uh, movies coming out soon that I'm going to review. Great question. Um, <laughs> uh, they Clone Tyrone just hit Netflix. I'm going to watch it. I need to see it. Uh, movies in theaters right now that I haven't seen. Well, I don't think there's much of anything, but what's coming out this week? We do have talk to me, the new a 24 film. Then there's haunted mansion and then coming soon. Teenage mutant Ninja turtles, mutant mayhem. Not sure that's for me. And the Meg to the trench looking ahead. I think that's all I'm seeing right now. So I'll keep my eyes peeled for stuff on streaming that might be more appealing to me. Also, I do have my Netflix DVDs. A um, couple of films I do need to get to that I have at home. We've got two months before Netflix DVD goes the way of the dinosaurs. And uh, I'm 
I'm so sad to hear about that, but, um, I'm doing good progress wise. I've got a number of discs I need to get to and need to watch. So why don't we end it here? Thank you so much for listening to cinema 5,000. I will talk to you soon about movies that I see and yeah. Thank you of course for listening. I appreciate you. Okay. Bye.